0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today I want to start a, a short series, just three messages, about the Passion Week of Christ. So that's literally the week that Jesus is crucified. So, I want to just take and talk about a few things uh, during that week, and I want to start talking about the betrayal. Uh, probably most of us at some point have been betrayed, and you know it's a painful thing to go through. It's probably somebody you've trusted, somebody that's close to you. In Jesus' case, it's one of his disciples, uh, it's somebody he's pouring his life into. And uh, this disciple happens to be the treasurer. One of the he, he's got to be like the most trusted, right? But yet he betrays Jesus. And if you've been through betrayal, you know that it, that what it, what it is like. I, I just love as Jesus is betrayed. He's betrayed with a kiss, and Jesus says, "Friend." Jesus does not let that betrayal into his heart to to bring resentment or unforgiveness or or bitterness or hatred towards that person, immediately when he is betrayed, Jesus just says, friend. And of course, on the cross, Jesus prays and he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. You know, what we need to recognize is that forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian gospel. It's at the heart. Right? And that what you and I are supposed to be, we are supposed to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. So we're not just forgiven but we're supposed to be forgiving. but uh, John chapter 12 and verse 1 then six days before the Passover. Now Jesus is crucified as the Passover lamb this takes this is six days before the crucifixion. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead there they made a supper and martha served but lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him then mary <clears throat> excuse me took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now a denarii was a day's wage. So figure like 14 months of your wage is what she took and literally just put on Jesus' feet. Right? But Jesus said, <laughs> excuse me, but he said, Judas, not that he cared for the poor, But because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but you will not always have me. Now, right after this, not only is is Judas going to make the worst decision of his life, he's going to make the worst decision that has ever been made. He's going to decide. Now, Jesus has just basically rebuked him, and and he's going to take an offense, and he's going to decide to betray Jesus. Mark's gospel on this account says, then Judas, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. What Judas did was he let some bitterness he took an offense. He had unforgiveness in his heart. Uh, forgiveness is the easiest to do immediately. Right? The longer you wait, the harder it is. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the root of bitterness. So literally what happens is we keep that bitterness and we meditate on it. It grows, right? And I think it's interesting that immediately when Judas betrays him, Jesus says, friend, he's forgiven. Doesn't take the offense. On the cross, immediately, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. But Judas, he takes that offense and he goes to the chief priest and he plans to betray Jesus. In 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, David and his men come to their hometown of Ziglag and they find it's been raided. It's been burned with fire. All of their families have been taken captive. All of their possessions have been stolen. And the Bible says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his son and his daughter. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Uh, here these guys are, they've just gone through a tremendous loss and they're talking about stoning David. The Bible says they're bitter. They're talking about stoning David. Stoning David. Uh, when, when uh, you have a loss, when, when something has happened and, and there's offense, it is the worst possible time to make a decision. And their, their decision is, let's kill David. Well, David is their, their one chance to get out of that situation. Now, I believe this with all my heart, that there is, there is always a work of the enemy that he tries to do in our lives when there is the possibility of offense, unforgiveness. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, it says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, when we let unforgiveness, resentment, offense in our heart, we give place to the devil. We give Satan an opportunity. One translation said we give him a foothold, right? Now, the, here's the deal. When you give the devil an inch, he will try to take a mile. He won't, just, he won't just be content, but the Bible says we give him place. In 1 Samuel 17, we find probably the best-known story in the entire Bible, right, where David kills Goliath. People that don't even know it's in the Bible know this story, Right? But in the next chapter, as they're returning from when David kills Goliath, the Bible says that the women come out, and they're dancing. They've got their tambourines, and they're singing. And they say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And when Saul heard it, it displeased him, the Bible says. He said, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands. And to me, they've only ascribed thousands. And he says, what more could he have but the kingdom?" And the Bible says he eyed David from that day forward. And then it says, on the next day, on the next day, a distressing or an evil spirit from God came upon Saul. Once he opened the door to the enemy, right? This evil spirit shows up. When you open the door, you say, well, I want God to protect me. Well, don't open the door to the devil. Don't open the door, right? When we let that offense that unforgiveness, that resentment into our hearts, we're opening the door. Again, in Hebrews 12, verse 15, see to it that no one falls away from God's grace, that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. Several of translations, King James, New King James, they talk about that root of bitterness. You know, before a plant is seen above the ground, It's growing underneath the ground, And when it grows under the ground, it says it's going to spring up. When it begins to mature, it springs up. And notice it says it spoils everybody's life. What people think about unforgiveness is they can focus it like a laser beam. But I want to tell you something. It's always like a hand grenade. You say, what does that mean? That everybody around you, there's this collateral damage. Notice it says spoils whose life? Everybody's life. You think you're going to spoil the life of the person that you're angry at, right? Most of the time, they're just singing Dixie. They don't have a clue. They don't even know what they did. They aren't concerned about you. And you're like, you're like inside. You're just spinning around. You got this thing going on, all right? That's why Solomon said, don't hasten in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. Anger rests in the bosom of the fool. Now, when this happens, it's always because of unresolved conflict. There's always an offense that has been taken, right? And there's been no resolution. There's been no forgiveness. There's been no prayer. And the Bible says that that anger, is just resting inside. So you get up in the morning, you go over, you see the mirror, you brush your teeth, you shave. Ladies, you do your hair, you put on your makeup, you put on a smile, you head to work, everything looks good. But right under the surface, you're ready to explode. And somebody says or does the least little thing, and you're like, rah! You know, I really believe... Most of the time when there's road rage, it's amazing how often you get on, you know, you look at the news and -and so-and-so shot so-and-so, and it was road rage, but it wasn't that they got cut off. It was that they woke up with something. They woke up with that anger on the inside. They went to bed with it. Some of them had it for a week, some of them for a month, some of them for a year, and some of them for 50 years. It's just there. And people think that's just the way that I am. No, that's the way that you am because of what's am the inside of you, right? You have some unresolved conflict and there's some anger and you think you're going to point it at somebody, but the Bible says you don't spoil their life. You spoil everybody's life. You take it out on your wife. You take it out on the kids. You take it out on your coworkers. You kick the dog. I mean, you, you just, everybody, everything, it spoils whose life? everybody's life, right? So in the book of Esther, there is a, a man by the name of Haman. He's kind of like prime minister of, this, of the Persia, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. But he hates this Jew by the name of Mordecai. Everybody else is bowing to him, but Mordecai, Mordecai doesn't bow. And he takes offense, but he says, I'm going to kill him. But I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill all the Jews. So he goes home and he tells his his wife and all of his friends of his great riches, the multitude of his children. We don't know how many he had, but we know he had at least 10 sons. And everything in which the king had promoted him, how he advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow, I am again invited with her along with the king. Now listen, yet all this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So get the picture. He is the second most wealthy person in the world. He's got a great family. He has position He has influence. He has anything this world can offer. And what does he say? It all means nothing. It all means nothing. As long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You know, when we have unforgiveness, we get focused on that person, on that offense, and literally we do not enjoy our life. And that thing that happened to us in the past affects us every day. Now, listen. The best revenge, you want revenge, the best revenge you could ever get is forgive and get free. Because when you forgive, you get free. It doesn't affect the other person, it affects you. You're the one who's bound. You're the one who's got the anger resting in your bosom. You're the one who's not enjoying all the great things that there are in your life. Um, In Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus and and, and he thinks he's being really generous, and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody that offends me? Seven times? And you know Jesus' answered, no, but 70 times seven. And this is in one day, right? Luke brings out their response. This is what the disciples said. They said, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> now, it's a very important response, because here's what we see. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Right? You forgive by faith. Forgiveness is a decision that you make in your heart. Right? Faith is of the heart. With the heart, man believes. Right? So you make a decision to forgive. It's not that you don't have feelings, and it's not that you forget but you make a decision. And so Jesus tells them this story. He said there there was a certain king and he had a a person who owed him an extremely large sum of money in the billions of dollars. And the guy says, just give give me time and I'll repay. I don't think so. But the king said, because he asked, he said, I'm gonna forgive you. But then he goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him just a few hundred dollars. And he says, please give me some time. And he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me now. And when he said, I can't, he has him thrown in the debtor's prison. And when the, the, the master heard what he had done, he was angry and he called him in and he said, I forgave you that great debt. Shouldn't you have forgiven your fellow servant his debt? And it's a picture of God having forgiven you and I so much. And God says, whoever has done you wrong, it's nothing compared to what you have done to me. And as I forgave you, you need to forgive others. But then the Bible says he takes him and he delivers him to the tormentors. And I, I really believe the tormentors represent the fact that we open the door to Satan to come into our life and torment us. In John 12, again, the supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Satan looks for offense. He looks for anything that we could take in offense. And when he does, he works on us overtime. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. He's saying our enemy is not your mother-in-law or your boss. The enemy is a spiritual being that does not have a body. It's Satan and it's demon power. He says that with that it's persons, because they are beings. They're not human beings, but they're beings. He says, the evil rulers of the unseen world, the mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world in a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So he's saying our enemy is not people. Our enemy is spirit beings. Right? And when you think that the problem is your boss or your spouse or somebody else, you're fighting a battle, but you're fighting the wrong enemy. Right? Satan will use what other people do and try to bring offense. This is a true story. Two people in southern, in a southern European city were online in a chat room and they started an internet relationship. He called himself Prince of Joy. She went by the scream name, sweetie. Pretty soon, though they'd never met, they were smitten with each other. They liked the same things. They had the same deep thoughts. They were finding each other to be kind, compassionate, empathetic. They even shared the fact that they were both trapped in miserable marriages with cold, insensitive spouses that didn't understand them. She said, sweetie said, suddenly I was in love. And I, She recalls those early days of the romance. Finally, she said, we could bear it no longer. We had to meet. And they agreed on a secret rendezvous for lunch. Prince of Joy and Sweetie turned out to be married to each other. <laughs> she said, I felt so betrayed, the 27-year-old Sweetie told the reporter. Her 32-year-old husband, Prince of Joy, was quoted as saying, I still find it hard to believe that Sweetie, who wrote such wonderful things is actually the same woman I'm married and who hasn't said one nice word to me for years. (laughs) You know, you would hope that with that shocking revelation that their soulmates, that they actually were living under the same roof, that they might use that opportunity to rekindle the romance in their relationship and have a fresh start. But you'd be wrong. According to the article in the newspaper, the British newspaper, they divorced. Now, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Moses commanded us to divorce our wives. Jesus said, no, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because of the hardness of your heart. So what was the reason for divorce according to Jesus? The hardness of your heart. Ephesians 4, verse 32 it says this be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Right? So a hard heart won't forgive, but a tender heart will be kind and forgive. Jeannie and I have been married for 46 years. Um, now, this is, this is what I know. We've got a great marriage. But the reason we have a great marriage is not that I'm great. It's because she forgives me. And she keeps forgiving me and keeps forgiving me and keeps forgiving me and keeps forgiving me and keeps forgiving me. Keeps forgiving me. It is impossible, impossible to live with somebody 24-7, 365, and not have them do something stupid. It is just impossible. See, but if you will forgive them, you will fall in love with the same person a thousand times. But if you will not forgive them and you have a hard heart, it's not going to be good. You're either going to have a bad marriage or you're going to end up downtown in a divorce court. Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart. But if you're kind and you forgive like God forgave you, Jesus, man, you can, it, it will be awesome. It will be awesome. You say they're not perfect. You're not either. No, There are no perfect people. There's just imperfect people that forgive and have great marriages. Okay. So uh, most of you know Jeannie and I, are like, we celebrated our first anniversary in Mexico. We were missionaries in Mexico for seven years. Now, the first two years we were there, we started our first church. Uh, After those two years, I turned it over to my assistant, Miguel Lopez, and uh, Jeannie and I moved to an Indian village, and we lived with the Odimi Indians for two years. Then we moved back to Guadalajara, and I was teaching in a Bible college and helping to start another church. Now, at that time, Guadalajara is three and a half million people, and our new church is on the other side of town, right? But I hear what's happening in the first church, right? That one of the key men in the church got mad at the pastor. After church, he went up in front of the whole congregation. I mean, the people are still mingling. We didn't have a foyer. It was just the, the church sanctuary. And, and he starts arguing with the pastor. Then he starts yelling at the pastor, and then he cussed the pastor out in church. Never happened in Michigan. I'm just telling you what happened in Mexico, all right? <laughs> Got in his car, squealed his tire down the road. Eight months have come and gone. Right? He hasn't darkened the door of the church. But we're hearing, Jeannie and I are hearing what's going on, and he's talking about his pastor. He's saying, that pastor, he's a false prophet. That pastor, wow, he's a liar. That pastor, he's this. That pastor, he's that. He's this. He's that, you know? And we're hearing about it. And Jeannie said to me, she said, uh, you should go see him. And I said, I don't think so. (laughs) I said, I am the ex-pastor. We have got plenty of stuff going on with the new church. I do not want to get involved in the old church I shouldn't get involved. In it. She, I just feel like, and you could help, and da, da, da. And I said, no. Right? I don't know if it was 10 days, two weeks. But what she said just kept on rolling around on the inside of me. Right? And after like two weeks, I said, okay. She knew exactly what I was talking about. It was like we just picked up that conversation from two weeks before, and I said, okay, I'll go. And she says, Good. She literally walked me to the car, opened the door, and put me in. <laughs> she did. All right. So I drive over to their house, it's three, four miles away. I park the car. I go up to the front door, and I, I knock, and his wife answers, and uh, I says, "You know, I, I've come to see your, your husband. I come to talk to him," and, uh, and and she says, "He's upstairs in bed," and it's like eight o'clock, Sunday night, and I said. What? You know, in the, in the Latin culture, uh, you go to bed late. Like midnight is, is like early, right? And so I look at her like, what's, what's, what's up? And, and she says, you don't know. And I said, I know what? And she says, he has a tumor. He said, it's, it's very, very life-threatening. Tomorrow he goes in the hospital, he'll be prepped, and they're planning to do surgery the next day. And uh, we need prayer because he could die. And she says, Come on in. And she sends me upstairs. Now, he works for a Japanese company, and I believe he had the number one position in the country. Uh, they, were, they were quite well to do. And uh, I go upstairs, and there's this huge bedroom. And he's laying there in this king size bed. And there's 25 people at least around the walls. Right. Now, uh, particularly in the southern part of the United States, when someone will die, in certain parts of the country, they'll have what they call a wake, right? Somebody dies, and the family, they all go over to the house, they bring food, and they show their love and support, right, when you die. Well, in the Latin culture, you do that, but you do it while they're still alive. So all these people are there. They're from their, their family members. There's a few of his employees. There's church members there, right? And they're all there kind of showing their love and their support for, for, for this man. Now I come to confront him about what he's saying about his pastor. Right? And uh, I, I don't know about you but but I hate confrontation. Right? So I'm gonna talk to him about what he's saying about in front of 20 plus people. And I'm thinking, oh great, I knew this wasn't God. I <laughs> you know I stuck around for about a half hour. And then uh, again in the Latin culture, when when you leave a room You shake everybody's hands. So I start shaking hands. And I got maybe the fourth person, something like that. And it's his nephew who also attends our first church. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, aren't you going to pray for him? And I thought, no. (laughs) I did. I I thought, no, it won't help. Because I'm thinking, he has opened the door to the enemy. Right? He has unforgiveness. He has resentment. He's been spreading strife. right? And I'm thinking, no. But he says, you should pray for him. So, like a good pastor, I went over. I got next to him. I laid my hands on him. You'd have been proud. I prayed a very nice pastoral prayer. Right? said, amen. I knew nothing happened. He knew nothing happened. Nephew knew nothing happened. All the people there knew nothing happened. All the angels of heaven and all the demons of hell, everybody knew nothing happened. Right? I keep shaking hands. Nephew runs downstairs. I've probably got five hands to go. Nephew's back. Nephew has got this container of cooking oil. I'm going to guess it's three liters. Right? And he takes it and he literally pushes it into my chest and says, Pastor, anoint him with oil like in the Bible in James chapter 5. Oh, great. Like, this is going to help. Now I'm cornered, right? Now, the anointing with oil, it, it is representative of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, right, in the Old Testament, when a priest became 30 years old, right, he was brought to the temple, right, and they would anoint him with oil. And they would dedicate him to the work of the Lord, and in his heart, he's supposed to be saying to God, God, if there's something I'm doing that I shouldn't do, I turn my back on that. I mean, you know, you call that repentance. And if there's something I'm supposed to do that I'm not doing, I embrace that, right? So they're dedicating themselves to God. So I get over next to, to uh, this gentleman. Let me just call him Steve, all right? And uh, I get next to Steve and, and, and I say, Steve, I said, uh, could it be that perhaps, quizás, uh, you have something in your heart against somebody? And he just looked right at me right in the eye, and he says, you know I do. <laughs> and I says, you know, I've heard some things. And I said, do you know, as long as you have resentment and unforgiveness, as long as you're spitting strife, I said, there's no healing for you. I says, you've opened the door for the devil. The Bible says be angry, don't sin, don't give place to the devil. And you have given the devil place. And I said, if you want to be healed, I said, you need to forgive. And I talked to him for just a couple minutes out of Mark 11 where Jesus said, every time you pray, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. He says, every time you pray. And and I talked to him, I said, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. And I talked to him for probably five minutes. And uh, he said, you know, I want to forgive. I said, okay, close your eyes and pray. Now, everybody's watching, I'm sitting there with this big thing of oil. It seemed to me like 30 minutes, but it was probably two, right? He opens his eyes and he said, okay, pastor. He said, I have forgiven. He said, and as soon as I can, I'm going to go and see him I'm gonna ask his forgiveness and I'm gonna do anything I can to make things right. I thought, that's good, all right? Now, if you go to seminary, you go to Bible college, you will take a class where they will teach you how to anoint with oil. And I'm gonna give it to you. The the Reader's Digest version is this. You take your pointing finger. You put one drop on the end of your pointing finger. You look where their eyebrows come together. go one inch above right there. Just anoint them, all right? I was not in a good mood. I just thought, you rascal. I took that top off. I'm a bloop, 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 bloop. I, I did. <laughs> I did. Now, if you look it up, look it up in the original language, to anoint means to smear. So I smeared him. <laughs> and then I prayed. I prayed. I left, shook, actually, I shook about five more hands to get rid of the oil, and then I left. (laughs) Three days later, we hear what happened. They said, you may not know this, but you were not gone for 45 minutes, and that tumor came out of his body. Now, somebody said, what a coincidence. Maybe, but I don't think so. I really believe he had opened the door for the enemy to come in and attack his life. And he no more than closed that door and believed God and the grace of God and the mercy of God flowed to him and there was healing in his body. Just that fast. Um, wow. I was gonna tell you another story, but uh, time's up. So let me tell you about forgiveness. Right? Here's how it works. There's four steps and every one of them is necessary. Right, The first step, is to ask God to forgive you for having had unforgiveness in your heart. The second step is to make a decision and a declaration of forgiveness. Again, it's not how you feel. The the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith, right? So forgiveness is not based on your feelings. Forgiveness is based on faith. And again, with the heart when man believes. So you make a decision from your heart to forgive, to release that person. And you say, God, I release them. I, I, I turn them over to you, God. I demand no recompense whatsoever, right? And then this is number three, right? And Jesus said to do this. He said, he said to pray for those who mistreat you, who spitefully use you, right? And this is necessary because faith without works is, it's dead, it's dead. So you pray for that person. Again, not that they have a car wreck. You pray God bless them. You pray God grant them repentance. You pray the blessings that you want on your life and your family. You pray those for that person. Now, you say, how often do I do it? As long as there's bad feelings. Remember, Jesus said every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. I remember listening to Dr. Cho 25 years ago at a conference in Seattle, where he said, I have to pray four hours every day because I hate so many people. (laughs) But Jesus said, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive, right? You forgive and you pray for them. You bless them, right? And then lastly, right? Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, of the devil, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, you have opened the door to the enemy, and it is necessary to close that door. Right? So you tell the devil, Devil, I take authority over you, in every inroad, every attack that you have placed on my life because of an open door, I close it in Jesus' name and I rebuke you and I command you to go from me, go from my family, go from my children, go from my finances, go from my body in Jesus' name. right? Jesus said, behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Say and once we close that door, once we close that door, he's gone. If the feelings come back, you just keep praying. You say, what if I had to pray for him for six months? Keep praying. Just keep praying. Pray God bless him. And here's what will happen. The apostle Paul said it like this. He said, enlarge our hearts. Not a physical condition, but God will enlarge your heart. right? And he will give you compassion for somebody that at one time you resented. Right? He, he will enlarge your heart, and he will give you the, the, the compassion and the love that he has for that person when you keep on praying for that person. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You know, often we say to people, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to say yes to Jesus Or are you not going to say yes to Jesus? See, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. See, it's not enough to believe in God. It's not enough to believe that Jesus was born in a manger, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and is coming again. You need to receive him. You need to give him your heart and give him your life. That's what the Bible means when it says to receive him. But we often talk about what are you going to do with Jesus? But I was contemplating this week, and I got to thinking, more important, what is Jesus going to say about you? What is Jesus going to do with you? Because someday, every one of us are going to stand before him. And what we want to hear is, Well done, you good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. And he's going to say that to those that have received him, to those that have given him their heart and their life. But to those that don't receive him, he's going to say, depart from me into that everlasting torment prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for men. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But a man or a woman that's not right with God, there's only an, that's the only place they can go. So my question today to you, It's not just what are you going to say to Jesus, but what is he going to say to you? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, depart from me? Now, if you're here, you're away from God, you're not right with God today, we're going to pray a prayer right now. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you will be right with God. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we are going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And if you'll pray this from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. I'm going to ask you to do this. Uh, if you can, would you take the hand of somebody that's near you? With you, If you're online and you're, there's multiple people watching, please take somebody's hand. And let's pray this prayer out loud. I want you to make these words your own. Just say, oh God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. And I'm going to live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm a part of your family, a part of your kingdom, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.